It is uh, 3 p.m. here at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, which means that it is time for my show, my uh, weekly show that is uh, simply called Arabology. As you know, this show comes to you every Thursday from 3 to 5 p.m. and attempts to bring you a flavor from the Arabic-speaking world. This week is uh, no exception, as uh, I'm sure you all know. Uh, I will be featuring quite a few new things on the show this week, stuff that I think people tweeted about and wrote about. Uh, so such things as a demand for Arabic poetry. Well, we are here to comply, ladies and gentlemen. We will be doing that with you today, as well as having the uh, guests in the studio. And uh, also some pre-recorded interviews with some Stanford students who will absolutely astound you with their ability to speak perfect Arabic. Yes, indeedy. Right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. My name is DJ Ramsey. I'll be with you from 3 p.m. until 5 p.m. today. So uh, please uh, stay tuned this week and every week. We are streaming live at KZSU Live. Dot stanford.edu and uh, let's uh, let things begin with this sort of hard rock sound you're hearing in the background that is actually an Arabic tune by a group called Jadal. They are singing a song called uh, Atoba and uh, hopefully that will get us started on a good note, ladies and gentlemen, right here on the Arabology Show on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm 
كل ما اقول التوبة يا ابويا ترميني المقادير يا عيني ترميني المقادير يا عيني وحشان عيونه السودة يا ابويا يرمش أتى لو جرحة يا بويا وعيون نيمانة وسرحة يا عين يرمش أتى لو جرحة يا بويا وعيون نيمانة وسرحة يا عين أديك يا عمري بحاله يا بويا وديني أنت الفرحة يا عيني وديني أنت الفرحة يا عين وأنا كل ما القلب الاخضراني يا بويا دبلت فيه الاغاني يا عين القلب الاخضراني يا بويا دبلت فيه الاغاني يا عين ولا قادر طول غيبتكو يا بويا اشرب من بحر تاني يا عين ولا قادر طول غيبتكو يا بويا اشرب من بحر تاني يا عين وانا كل ما اقول التوبه يا ابويا ترميني المجادير ترميني المجادير ترميني
unmistakable voice and vocals of Hamid Sinno, the lead singer for the, uh, well, the Lebanese band uh, Mashrua Layla. Translated, that's the Layla Project. And we just heard a song called Innimnih, taken uh, from that album. It is, uh, the album is called El Hal Romancy, which translates as something like The Solution is Romance. And, uh, of course, this is their, uh, well, their new EP, their second the uh, album, really, after they released their first album, which was self-titled, i.e. Mashrua Layla, and uh, certainly they have uh, caused quite a stir all over the Arabic-speaking world, if not the Middle East and the region, even North Africa and beyond. Uh, Mashrua Layla are in a very, very different kind of band, because with Arabic vocals and great, great lyrics, they are combining different genres and experimenting with different fusions and music uh, to come up with uh, such songs as Innimnih, the one you just heard. Uh, before that, uh, well, if uh, you were around in the 70s and were listening to uh, a singer who was very, very famous then named Abdel Halim Hafiz, then you certainly knew the tune or the song uh, at Toba uh, because he made it famous back in the 70s. Well, the version you heard had nothing to do with the 70s. It was the same song, but it was what? Uh, put to a rock and roll beat and it was sung by a, uh, an, a, a Jordanian band. Their name is Jadal and they are doing some amazing things over there in Jordan and their album is called Arabic Rocks and uh, so they've released quite a few singles from that album. It is really, really worth checking out. We began the set with a song that, well, whose title inspired the uh, title of my radio show here. It's called Arabology and it was, uh, the, the actual song sort of counts the numbers in Arabic for you in a very, very weird and strange format. It is uh, 3.12 p.m. here at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. This is Arabology. 
I'm your DJ Ramsey, and I will be with you today until 5 p.m. We are streaming live at kzsulive.stanford.edu. A big marhaba and hello to everybody out there, especially, uh, well, my amazing students at Stanford, and a special hello to Katie out there today as well. Katie, who uh, is uh, learning Arabic as well as uh, as a uh, well a singer in her own right, uh, she will be my guest. I hope on next week's episode of Arabology, where she will be singing live. So tune in for that. But uh, this week uh, does not disappoint either, because we will have right here, ladies and gentlemen, some amazing Stanford students who will be reading poetry, and not easy poetry, mind you. This is classical Arabic poetry, very poignant, very very uh, meaningful verses that they've chosen, and uh, they will be, uh, in some cases, translating them into English. Yes, believe it or not, all of this is going to be happening between now and 5 p.m. right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Looks like a great day on the water. You bet. But drinking and boating just don't mix. Hey, I only had a couple of drinks. Besides, I'm not driving. You see, whether you're operating a boat or just a passenger, even one drink can make you lose your balance. Whoa, who's moving the boat? Cause you to fall overboard. Whoa, And even drown. Hey, get me out of here. When you're on the water, don't drink. A public service message from Mothers Against Drunk Driving, the California Department of Boating and Waterways, and KZSU Stanford. The show is uh, Arabology, and uh, as I promised, I will be bringing to you a flavor of Arabic poetry. Now, I'm doing this because several people wrote to me and contacted me saying that they really enjoyed the segment a couple of weeks ago where I was joined by Ahmad Q, who read uh, a poem by a Libyan poetess at the time, uh, and uh, the poem was called Wasa'id Wa Sharashif. We translated it as Pillows and Bedsheets, and boy, I did not realize that that sort of spontaneous English English-Arabic uh, presentation would qua- would cause such a uh, wonderful, uh, well, positive response. So, um, Ahmad Q, thank you for that beautiful reading a couple of weeks ago. He read the Arabic uh, lyrics, uh, or verses, and I translated them spontaneously that week, and we got such a great response that this week we are bringing you other readers of Arabic, only this time they're not native Arabic speakers, so actually they are really, really brave and wonderful, wonderful young people, and scholars right here at Stanford. They are also Stanford students and they've taken Arabic here and abroad and they have come back with uh, not only a a love and appreciation for the language itself but but an actual devotion to Arabic poetry. One of those students is uh, Lizzie Harmon. Elizabeth Harmon was one of my students many, well, a while back. I don't want to date myself and uh, since then uh, went on to do amazing things in her journey through Arabic, uh, in her Arabic studies, both in the U.S. and abroad. Lizzie was recently at uh, Stanford speaking uh, to the community about her experiences in uh, Syria and in other parts of the Middle East, and I was very uh, lucky to be able to sit with Lizzie um, and uh, and conduct an interview with her right here for KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM, and during that interview, Lizzie spoke 
about uh, well her experiences and uh, actually uh, then delivered a poem by none other than the Syrian poet Nizar Qabbani, perhaps one of the most famous contemporary Arabic poets, uh, and uh, she actually delivered delivers it with a beautiful recitation in Arabic and follows it with her own translation. So all of that is coming up in my two-part interview with Lizzie Harmon. I think with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we should do that. Go to my recorded segment with Lizzie Harmon, listen to her interview, and then we'll take a little break where we'll play a little uh, ode to Damascus before we play the second part of my interview with Lizzie Harmon right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Here's my pre-recorded interview with Lizzie Harmon. This is DJ Ramsey here on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The show is Arabology, and my guest today is none other than Elizabeth Harmon, known to her friends as Lizzie Harmon. Elizabeth was my student here in Arabic uh, a while back. She has stayed in touch with me and has done amazing things since then. I'm delighted to have you in the studio, and I'm going to welcome you in Arabic, Lizzie. Ahlan wa sahlan. في عربولوجي أهلين فيك شكرا كتير and for those listeners out there who don't understand she welcomed me right back <laughs> which is sort of the spirit that defines Lizzie a very warm generous kind student who decided to take Arabic at Stanford a few years ago yes. uh, for reasons that uh, remain unknown to our listeners would you care to share Yeah, so I uh, became interested in Arabic uh, when I became interested in Islamic societies. My grandparents had worked for the State Department in uh, places that included Pakistan, and uh, my mom does work in Afghanistan right now. And so uh, when I came to college, I knew I wanted to study other Islamic societies, and I thought Arabic, being the language of Islam, was the gateway uh, to doing that. And then I uh, got interested in the Middle East through studying Arabic since that's where it's currently spoken. And so you began studying Arabic at Stanford in your freshman year, was it? Yes. I had taken a community college course in high school, but uh, I really got into it once I started at Stanford. And once you finished with your courses at Stanford, your Arabic courses, you actually decided to move to an Arabic-speaking country. Yeah, I was uh, really excited about actually living in the Middle East and immersing myself in the culture and the language. Uh, So after I finished two years at Stanford, I also did a summer at Middlebury to um, prepare myself to go to the Middle East, and then uh, I moved to Syria for a year. Now, the, the, the listeners out there, you heard right. She moved to Syria, but this was certainly <laughs> this before. This was back in 2010, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think when, when people hear Syria now, everybody's heart starts beating <clears throat> quickly, and to yes. think of you being in Syria at that time. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the positive aspects of being in Syria. Sure. Maybe you can share some of the experiences that you had there that were surprisingly positive, perhaps, and, uh, and also to tell us if you because I know you were there when the events started uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, if that affected you in any way I mean in terms of your education or did you see the country changing etc yeah so I moved to Syria in August of 2010 and I was there on a government scholarship and I had convinced my parents that it was actually the best option uh, Mm -hmm. in the Middle East because 
uh, your personal safety was pretty much guaranteed uh, given that there were a secret police on every corner in, in Damascus. Wow. Uh, so as long as you didn't speak out against the government, there's actually very low crime rates there. Um, and then uh, I really enjoyed my time there. I felt that the Syrians were so hospitable and they're very proud of their culture. Uh, Syria was the last beacon of Arab nationalism uh, after the United States had bought off uh, Egypt and Jordan. And uh, so even though they're an insular country, uh, they have a very strong culture, strong history. Damascus is uh, Damascus and Aleppo compete for the oldest, uh, the title of the oldest continually inhabited cities in the oh, world. That's true. And so uh, they've been the seat of many great empires. And uh, still today, Syria has uh, a very intense, strong culture and uh, a beautiful dialect of Arabic as well. Mm-hmm. They're referring to the colloquial Syrian dialect. Yeah. The, yeah. Which, though it's Levantine Arabic, it still has a little bit of a resonance of, it does. of its own. Yeah. Um, so you got to Syria at mm-hmm. the time. And as an American young woman in Syria... Uh, I think the, a lot of uh, fears uh, by some of our listeners will begin to surface. Can you address that? I mean, how safe did you feel on the streets and at school or whatever you were uh, doing? Did you feel pretty much that you were welcomed as an American or did you have to hide your identity? Uh, yeah, I felt that the Syrians, they're so respectful um, and they can differentiate between the American government and the American people. So when I came over, um, even though Syrians may have disagreed with American foreign policy in the Middle East, uh, Syrians were very excited that I was an American taking my time to study in their country, study their language, their culture, their history. Um, so I felt uh, very welcome there, and I did feel very safe. I uh, had sometimes job interviews that were on California time wow. in the middle of the night and would have to go out and get a taxi at 4 a.m. in Damascus. And, and it's uh, possible to get and a it taxi. Was pos- it is, yes, it is possible, and I felt very safe doing so. So um, I really enjoyed my time there. I had an incredible host family that I was living with while I was there, and uh, they, I felt they really deeply cared about me. And they... they um, would ask me things like, you know, where are you going? Uh, who are you going to be with? What time are you going to return? Uh, I felt it was not to uh, encroach on any of my freedoms as a woman. It was because they genuinely cared about my well-being and safety. And uh, so I was very grateful to be living with such a wonderful family that looked out for me. Wow. And so how long did you stay in Syria, Lizzie, and, and overall... Uh, I was there eight months before I was evacuated. Evacuated. So, so we're talking now about the, uh, well, what, I don't know what, whether to call it a revolt, whether to call it a thawra, whether, I mean, we're not sure <laughs> what to call it at this point, but you began feeling the tides changing when you were there, or was this a complete surprise to you? Um, was it gradual? Or? It was a complete shock uh, to everyone, and I think uh, there was about a month, uh, if you can recall that Syria, nothing was happening. Uh, After Tunisia, after Mm -hmm. Egypt, uh, everything was very tense in Syria because no one knew what was going to happen there. Everyone expected something to happen, but uh, I was just waiting for for the start of it. So, um, yeah, I was was there through uh, April, so I definitely felt the beginning of the uprising, and uh, I was shocked. I was shocked to 
hear so many Syrians do a 180 in their opinions on uh, the regime. Wow. It started out slowly, like, I am upset with corruption in this country instead of directly targeting the president. Oh, we love the president, we love his wife, but we hate the system, we mm. hate corruption. Mm. But mm. then slowly it morphed into, no, actually, we realize that he is responsible and mm. uh, we are upset and we don't want him in and, power and so anymore. were you there did you witness any sort of street demonstrations or anything like that yeah were you evacuated before any of that no place? there wasn't much going on in damascus i did see a lot of uh pro-government demonstrations though those uh what the uh how do you say the the security services would go into the offices and the schools Mm -hmm. on the day of a pro-government demonstration and demand that everyone leave work and leave school uh, to go to these demonstrations. If they didn't, they they were arrested. So, so um, just to uh, to make things clear, the security, you know, the Muhabarat, what we're calling, who are, like this, yeah, right, who are on the asking, side of the president, yeah, and they were asking people in the buildings, in the office buildings, to leave mm. work and demonstrate for the president, yeah. not against. Yeah, office. and in okay. fact, I even heard that um, schools would take attendance at the demonstrations, wow. and if you didn't show up. You would get wow. in trouble. Wow! Sort of a mandatory so, demonstration. Yeah, mandatory <laughs> demonstration in support of the of regime. The, of the regime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you witness any sort of um, movement against the regime? I mean, were you there when we see we see so many images in Syria now, uh-huh. and it's become quite sad and 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 and, and bloody in many, many uh, ways? But mm-hmm. were you, I think you were evacuated before things reached uh, the level yeah. we're at now. Well, actually, things were pretty bloody while I was there, just not in. Damascus, um, mm. in in other cities that were under siege, uh, I think I, w- I witnessed a couple small demonstrations against the government, but uh, nothing significant. And though I did feel a lot more resentment against uh, the foreign population, the Syrians, I think, were very nervous because the government at the time was putting out statements that foreign nationals were fomenting the dissent within the country. So Mm -hmm. it became Mm -hmm. a little bit more tenuous of a situation for the Americans there. Mm. So Um, it was a good idea for you to be evacuated. I think... agree with it. Yeah, though though my institute actually kept uh, holding classes, so a lot of my friends stayed uh, for some time after. Well, they're they're tenacious. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so, Lizzie, once you left and then you eventually came back to the United States and you're now Mm -hmm. at Stanford, um, you know, you decided to do something about your adventures there, your stay there. Mm -hmm. You attempted to uh, sort of uh, create something that I want you to introduce that addresses, I think, some of the concerns that many foreign students feel when they go to Arabic-speaking countries. And I think uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but when I saw your presentation at the recent Amends conference here at Stanford about uh, Bab Sharqi. Mm-hmm. Org, we might as well say the name. Yes. Uh, I was extremely, extremely proud of you for addressing, I think, uh, an issue that very few people think about. You know, everybody thinks we can uh, we can apply to uh, go study Arabic in a, in a, in the Middle East or wherever, and uh, uh, but nobody really has the answers to some of the questions that you you had perhaps before you left and that you're attempting to address and respond to in advance. Can you tell us a little bit about babsharqi.org? Yes, I would love to. Uh, so I'm working on a website, uh, babsharqi.org. Uh, that's B-A-B 
S-H-A-R-Q-I dot org. Um, And it is going to hopefully be a comprehensive portal for Arabic study abroad. Uh, Right now, there isn't a lot of resources out there for Mm -hmm. students interested in studying abroad in the Middle East. Uh, Especially, there's, there's no website that has complete list of all the programs in a single country and none of them have any sort of user interaction no reviews no question and answer forums uh so i'm hoping to to change that and uh in addition to having programs listed on my website uh programs of study in the middle east also have other uh secondary needs like uh housing housing form like craigslist style mm-hmm. um listings of housing uh language exchange and tutor uh, recommendations on the website um, other things like also, visa advice yeah, yeah, exactly. and you know all these types of uh, yeah other and, needs. and I remember your emphasis on keeping it current because things yes. over there are changing quickly has babsharqi.org sort of been launched yet or is it still in the it's beginning? still in the works it's still under construction and we're looking for uh, we need funding we need uh, young people um, that are interested that have maybe studied abroad in the Middle East interested in doing research and uh, we also need uh, people with the expertise to build the website. Right. So, so right now, this is not in any way a commercial website. No, no, and uh, I'm, you know, if it's feasible, I'd like to set it up as a nonprofit and right. maybe even hopefully offer scholarships right. one day. And, and Babsharki for our listeners, that's a very interesting uh, name for the website because yeah. it means it means Eastern Gate. Uh, yeah, and it was one of the eight gates into the old city in Damascus. Wow! Um, so it has a lot of significant personal significance, and then also I think uh, a lot of people can relate to leaving their homes inside, for instance, the old city in Damascus and walking out into the world facing east and discovering um, new things. I love it. And it stuck with me. Babsharki.org. I mean, when I heard it, I never forgot it. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Our first impression of Damascus is one of surprise as we notice the modern appearance of the Saraya Square in the center of the city. But our opinion soon changes as we step a few paces away.
forget when my reaction to cardamom strong fragrance yet and still finds attraction as proud fathers wait for a sweet daughter's face i'm asking if my roots heart and language are here how am i supposed to make myself any more clear is clarification necessary with love so dear so much so that there was no fear how many damascene bracelets were sold for this poetry here apologizing of the will i wonder if my little siblings can hear my parts been scattered cross coast for years land is on horizon floating saddened eyes above the this is how i feel for you For the rest of his history books can show What will remain of poetry's originality of so Many a brown nose and liar gets to have complete control How we gon' ever write a verse to spit with killers still approach I bore the burden of my words upon my back Until I grieve or shall remain a poetry When it is finally relieved The saddest thing in this world My lady is knowing that we were meant to be From the very start That will never be That was, uh, what shall I call it, an ode to Damascus, huh? It was a song called Damascus, and it was uh, recorded by an amazing uh, hip-hop rap artist, uh, writer extraordinaire. His name is Omar Ofendam, and this was from his album Syrian Americana. Uh, that album really was uh, such an amazing uh, piece of work because it uh, combined Arabic poetry with these uh, very uh, amazing uh, rhythms uh, as you were able to hear, and he was actually singing in uh, in uh, well classical Arabic as well as in English. That's Omar Ofendam and the song Damascus, which sort of uh, seemed appropriate to play because it uh, served to divide my uh, amazing interview with uh, Lizzie Harmon into two parts. We will be listening to the second part of my interview with Lizzie Harmon, where, as I promised, she will be reading poetry in uh, classical Arabic, and then, ladies and gentlemen, and then she will be translating it into one of the most amazing English translations of an Nizar Qabbani poem that I have ever heard. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who Nizar Qabbani is, stay tuned. Lizzie will be telling you exactly who he is. She also will be reading one of his poems in classical Arabic, and she will be translating that classical Arabic poem into a very, very 
powerful English rendition translation of the same poem. So uh, I think uh, you know I've kept you in suspense long enough here. Why don't we go to my second part with Lizzie Harmon, Elizabeth Harmon, who will be uh, uh, my uh, guest here in this pre-recorded interview right here at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm your DJ Ramsey. The show is Arabology, and don't forget I'll be with you till 5 p.m. with plenty more of uh, surprises to come. So please stay tuned. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So, Lizzie, uh, speaking of Syria and uh, and cultural productions from Syria, maybe uh, you wanted to share a poem with us, which I can't ask you to do, and you chose a poem by Nizar Qabani, yeah, the, the Syrian poet. Yes. Uh, for our listeners who don't know Nizar Qabani, can you just briefly tell us who he is, and then we'll talk about the poem you chose. Yeah, he's uh, very famous in Syria for his poetry. He's done. Uh, risque things, talk to Ellen about love, very frankly. Um, And he's also written a lot of poetry that challenges the power structures within Syria. And he he was actually a diplomat as well. That was his day job. He's sort of a, you know, household name. Yes. uh, Everybody knows him all over there. Yeah. Not just Syria. (laughs) And the poem you chose today is titled... Al Hakim Wal Asfur, which translated into English is the ruler and the sparrow. And the sparrow. So mm-hmm. something tells me this is going to be a little bit of a symbolic yes. poem. Yeah. Well, it has to be in a country like Syria where <laughs> they have censors. And actually, the Asfur, the sparrow in uh, Syrian poetry, uh, represents freedom, right? Wow. But and uh, oftentimes it, the sparrow isn't allowed to fly. I see. So the, this poem sort of addresses what, in your opinion? I mean, you know, poems are up for interpretation, but your take? Uh, I think it ha- uh, I, it reminded me a lot of what I saw in Syria with, re- uh, with relation to how the government treated its people, its citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will be evident when I read the translation. And since this is the Arabology show, Lizzie, mm-hmm. you could actually read it in Arabic on yes. there. And this will, uh, one, show us what uh, an amazing student of Arabic you were and still are, and make your um, old uh, instructor here very proud of you. But I also wanted the listeners to hear how the poem flowed, even if they mm-hmm. don't speak Arabic. So why don't we have you read it in Arabic, and then and perhaps read uh, sort of a translation of the work in English so people know what you're saying. But I'm going to leave you with the Arabic uh, poem uh, by, uh, well, the poem is by uh, Nizar Qabbani. It's going to be recited by Elizabeth Harmon here in Arabic. It's called Al-Hakim Wal-Asfur. At-tajawwal fil-watan al-Arabi li-aqra shi'ri lil-jumhur fa-ana muqtana'a anna shi'r raghif yukhbaz lil-jumhur وأنا مقتنعة منذ بدأت بأن الأحرف أسماك وبأن الماء هو الجمهور التجول في الوطن العربي وليس معي إلى دفتر يرسلني المخفر للمخفر يرميني العسكر للعسكر وأنا لا أحمل في جيبي إلا عصفور لكن الضابط يوقفني ويريد جوازا للعصفور تحتاج الكلمة في قطني لجواز مرور أبقى ملحوشا ساعات 
منتظرا فرمان المأمور التأمل في أكياس رمل ودمعي في عيني بخور وأمامي كانت لافتة تتحدث عن وطن واحد تتحدث عن شعب واحد وأنا كالجورث هنا قاعد أتقي أحزاني وأدوس جميع شعارات الطبشور وأظل على باب بلادي مرميا كالقدح المكسور واو Wow, Lizzie, uh, I really, I literally, I got uh, goosebumps here. I am so proud of you, kiddo. I mean, this is coming from somebody who uh, didn't grow up in an Arabic-speaking household. I mean, this is something you did yeah. in college. Yeah, That's amazing, honestly. Thank you. For that, that this should be a great example for anybody out there who thinks that learning Arabic is uh, impossible. I mean, just hearing, I think, even if you don't understand, just hearing the kind of tone you gave the poem as well well as the nice uh, pronunciation uh, gives we people this um, the, the, yeah so we better read it in English we better read uh, it in English so people know what, we were, what you were saying go ahead Lizzie this is your own translation yeah there there nice. doesn't exist a translation in English on the internet so this is um, what I did myself so the title is the ruler and the sparrow as we said and Um, begins I wander about in the Arab world in order to read my poetry to the audience so I am convinced that poetry is a loaf of bread baked for the audience and I am convinced since I began that the letters are fish and that the water is the audience I wander about in the Arab world and I have nothing with me except a notebook the police send me to the police the military throws me to the military And I am not carrying anything in my pocket except a sparrow. But the officer stops me and wants a permit for the sparrow. The word in my homeland needs permission to pass. I am left ignored for hours, waiting for the edict of the commissioner. I contemplate the bags of sand, and my tears in my eyes are seas. And in front of me was a sign talking about one homeland, talking about one people. And I, like a rat, am here sitting, vomiting my sorrows and trampling on all the slogans of chalk. And I remain at the door to my country, discarded like the broken cup. Wow. Lizzie, this is your own translation. Yeah. Kiddo, this is amazing. I am so <laughs> proud of you. Shall I say it in Arabic? She thanked me for the compliment, but I'm not, not too sure she, she thinks I'm giving her a compliment just to be, uh, what, how do you say, mujamala? Flattery. Uh, or I'm something. just flattering. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Nice. This was not He's flattering. He's a good professor. He's nice to uh, me. I'm sure our <laughs> listeners will disagree. Uh, Elizabeth Harmon, thank you so much for giving me no, this time today. Thank you for today. this opportunity. And, and thank you for giving our listeners the opportunity of hearing about your experiences in Syria and for the opportunity to hear an Arabic poem being read both in Arabic by what I what surprisingly is not a non-native Arabic speaker as well as your beautiful translation. Lizzie Shukran, thank you so much and please do stay in touch with us here at Arabology and KZSU. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.
was uh, Darin Hamze and a song called Ya Zahratan Fi Khayali. Now, obviously, this is a very, very old song that Darin Hamze has re-recorded, and it is one of the mo- one of the great tracks on the soundtrack to a Lebanese movie called The Beirut Hotel. And, uh, well, I don't know if you've heard about the Beirut Hotel film, but uh, it is causing quite a controversy. It has been banned and uh, censored and banned. Well, I guess an attempt to censor it is to ban it in uh, Lebanon. And uh, and e- even though, you know, in many ways, Lebanon is considered one of the more progressive uh, Arabic-speaking countries there, uh, still the movie has been banned and the soundtrack uh, is available. So uh, until uh, if and when we can actually see the film, we can still enjoy the soundtrack. And that was just one of many, many,
many tracks on that soundtrack. I also have to say a big bravo to um, to a Lebanese musician. His name is Zayt Hamdan, who was heavily involved in writing and mixing for the soundtrack to the Beirut Hotel. So I will say a big marhaba to him wherever he is, and also to Darin Hamze, whose amazing voice and vocals you just heard on the track Ya Zahratan Fi Khayali, which by the way translates into Oh Flower of My Imagination. Before that, uh, you heard that very sort of hypnotic instrumental tune, and that was by uh, Le Trio Zubran or the Zubran Trio. It was called uh, Dawar Shams, and that uh, translates as Circle of the Sun. If you like that kind of instrumental uh, tune, then uh, certainly check out their album Asfar, uh, and uh, that album includes uh, many, many uh, instrumental tunes, some with uh, some very haunting vocals, and uh, that's kind of the kind of music that the trio Zubran uh, is uh, becoming famous for. Check them out. They are available everywhere, and uh, and they actually, their songs sort of serve to, uh, to uh, uh, well, uh, play a quick uh, tribute to uh, my guest, uh, Elizabeth Harmon, who was uh, the Stanford student who read uh, the poem by uh, Nizar Qabbani uh, and uh, translated it into English. So my many thanks to her for doing that right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm your DJ Ramsey, and I'm with you every Thursday from 3 to 5 p.m. I'd also like to remind everybody that uh, we have such an amazing wealth of uh, shows right here at KZSU that uh, will, uh, of no doubt, be of interest to you. I'm just gonna, you know, talk about a few right here, and perhaps one of the uh, uh, one of the shows that uh, you should definitely not miss is uh, the Big Love Show with Jack, and that's banging beats from guest DJs from all around the Bay and beyond. The Big Love Show with uh, your host. Jack comes to you on Mondays between 3 and 6 p.m. So if you like uh, Bang and Beats uh, and uh, will feel like maybe uh, dancing around a little wherever you are, make sure to check that show right here on KZSU. Uh, Stanford 94.1 FM uh, for a full list of our schedule you can always go to kzsu.stanford.edu and click on the schedule um, uh, link and certainly uh, to check out the great array and mixture of shows we have for you right here at uh, KZSU the time is coming up to 4pm here and I thought we would do uh, well a little bit of a pleasant surprise for everybody out there why not do a ticket giveaway yes a concert ticket giveaway ladies and gentlemen we are giving away today two tickets to a performance by Aswat Aswat are uh, a vocal ensemble that uh, that performs in the Bay Area and in other places and uh, on June 3rd 2012 Aswat will be at the College of San Mateo Theater that's right here of course in California 
California, and uh, and uh, they will be celebrating the Egyptian composer Muhammad Abdel Wahab. I'm not sure if you know who Muhammad Abdel Wahab is, but he is really a classicist, a musician uh, who uh, is a sort of eternal. He's had a uh, a very profound impact upon Arabic music, and of course he's uh, long gone by now, but his music lives on partially through the uh, Aswat uh, uh, group or the Aswat ensemble who are, will be performing a tribute to all of his songs at the College of San Mateo on June 3rd, 2012. And uh, the showtime is probably going to be between 3 and 5 p.m. And uh, two tickets to that amazing concert will be given uh, uh, right here on the Arabology Show. I will give them away when I play the next uh, track. So if you are near a phone, you want to dial 650-723-9010. And I will be happy to give the uh, two tickets to the Aswat concert at the College of San Mateo on June 3rd, 2012 to the lucky caller who calls in right here on the Arabology Show on uh, at KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. So what better way to sort of uh, explain what I'm talking about here than to play a song by Aswat, and that is um, actually a song by Feirouz that they sing. It's called Tayr al We'll listen to that song, and while it's playing, I'll be listening for you to call in to win two tickets to the Aswat concert at the College of San Mateo, June 3rd, 2012, and their tribute to Muhammad Abdel Wahab. Here we go with uh, Aswat. <laughs>
was the Aswat Ensemble or uh, Troupe and uh, Vocal Ensemble, of course. And uh, their song, Tayral uh, Wurwar, which is actually a song made famous by uh, the Lebanese uh, diva Feirouz. And uh, that came to you right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, courtesy of the uh, Arabology show with yours truly, DJ Ramsey. And uh, of course, uh, I would, uh, that was uh, played to remind everybody uh, of the uh, ticket giveaway right here for two tickets to the Aswat concert at the College of San Mateo on June 3rd, 2012. And uh, this, uh, that would be at 1700 West Hillside Boulevard, San Mateo, California. So hopefully you enjoyed them and hopefully you will be able to see them in concert. Uh, they are uh, they are doing a tribute to Muhammad Abdul Wahab during this special concert on June 3rd. In the meantime, it is 4 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, which means it's time. It's the middle of my show. And what better way to mark the middle of my show than to play a song by the Lebanese diva Feirouz herself. This is a very special song because its title is Afi Amal. Translated, that means, yes, there is hope. And so if Feirouz thinks there is hope... Uh, there must be. This is a very inspiring song for Feirouz fans everywhere, especially to Ava, who listens to the show every week. She asked for a Feirouz song that I should dedicate, and I'm gladly doing so, to all Feirouz lovers out there. The song is Afi Amal, and we'll be playing that before coming back and uh, introducing you to yet another Stanford student. This time it's, uh, it's a young man named Andrew Clausen, and he will be reading some classical Arabic Poetry by Ahmad Shawqi, and that will be a little uh, in a few minutes uh, right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Reminding everybody to check out our Facebook page, if you like, at uh, www.facebook.com slash Arabology, and uh, certainly I'll be happy to read uh, your comments. We are also on Twitter here at KZSU, so our Twitter handle name is KZSUDJ, and uh, we we are happy to hear from you in any medium. Here is Feirouz and Afi Amal taking us into the second hour of the Arabology show right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. <laughs> Thank you. 
نسخسي روحي وعلاش رانا عايشين مرات تسقسيني روحي وقتاش كنا عايشين ما تخميش وما تبكيش انا ما قالها ما تخميش ما تبكيش كنت حابة يقولها لي كش That was the unmistakable voice of uh, an Algerian singer whose name is Suad Massey. She's already released three amazing albums, all of which are uh, masterpieces. She has uh, toured extensively. She's making it huge in Europe, especially in France, but also all over the Arabic-speaking world and in the United States. If you like that song, it was called Metipkish, which translates into Do Not cry and uh, that's taken from her album Rawi and uh, that was I, th- I believe her first album since then she's released uh, two more gems and if you like this kind of you know guitar playing uh, soft uh, very meaningful music uh, then do check out her other albums her name is Suad Masi and she comes from Algeria and we began the set today with none other than the ultimate Lebanese diva her name is Fayrouz she is is idolized and loved all over the Middle East. She uh, sings, uh, well, uh, songs that are often composed by uh, uh, members of her family, her late husband, Asir Rahbani, as well as, lately, songs composed and written by her son, Ziad Rahbani. Fayrouz, uh, well, she's getting up there in age, but she still continues to tour and to sing in concert, and uh, certainly uh, her name is uh, um, House name uh, in Lebanon and in the region so uh, that if you like that then that was at uh, that was the uh, the voice that started out our second set as I'm saying these words ladies and gentlemen I'm also delighted that the uh, studio here at KZSU sort of uh, immediately lit up with uh, and it was illuminated with the presence then of uh, Marwa Farag yes ladies and gentlemen Marwa Farag is indeed in the studio and for those well maybe 
few people out there who might not know who Marwa Farag is, certainly she is one of the busiest and most prolific students here at Stanford University. She's kind of agreed to be on uh, the second part of my show. I'll be uh, having a live interview with Marwa, whose last name Farag should tell you that she's from Egypt, and that is Egypt. We'll be speaking about that and much more right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. But in the meantime, I think it's time to uh, listen to the young man that I promised you, and that is Andrew Clausen. Andrew kindly uh, recorded this interview with me uh, a couple of days ago, in which he will read a poem by Ahmad Shawqi. Now, most people out there will say, who is Ahmad Shawqi? But most Arabs will tell you he is the prince of all poets. He is the father of Arabic poetry. So for uh, Andrew Clausen, this uh, amazing young man, to choose a poem by uh, Ahmad Shawqi is no small feat. He will be reading the classical Arabic uh, uh, to you uh, right here on the show. So I hope you'll enjoy that. And uh, after that, I promise uh, to bring uh, Marwa Farag into the studio. And we will be discussing so many things with Marwa, including her thoughts on the Egyptian uh, uprising, her thoughts on Egyptian culture and her amazing presence here at Stanford University where this young lady, this young scholar is doing so many things that it would take me years to list. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to Andrew Clausen right now and my interview with him, which was pre-recorded, as I said, a couple of days ago. And uh, we'll see where the show takes us from there. Coming to you from KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Here's my interview with Andrew Clausen. This is DJ Ramsey on the Herbology Show coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM and this week I am delighted to welcome one of the finest students uh, of Arabic at Stanford none other than Andrew Clausen Assalamu alaikum ya Andrew Wa alaikum assalam it's great to be here Ramsey I, I am so proud of you kiddo for coming in and uh, and gracing the studios here at KZSU and and, uh, agreeing to actually read a poem in Arabic for us. Well, I, I figure I listen to your show every week. I might as well be on it one time. So, so well, I'm really excited. We are delighted. But before we read the poem, Andrew, can you just briefly tell us about your background in, in terms of your Arabic studies, where you studied, and, uh, and so forth? So um, my Arabic studies have been a little bit different from, I think, most students at Stanford. I started studying at uh, De Anza College, which is uh, just down the road in Cupertino, and I did a summer, a summer there. And then I was fortunate enough to to be able to come in and do some Arabic at, St- at Stanford. And I was here for two years doing Arabic. But throughout that time, I was also um, going abroad and studying. And I went to both uh, Damascus, Syria, where I attended um, the University of Damascus, as well as uh, Amman, Jordan where I went to an institute there, and I was very lucky to get to go there for six months. Right, and I won't pretend that I didn't see you in Jordan over the summer, because I was there, and I saw how you progressed in terms of your Arabic proficiency so quickly. Uh, it was at the Qasid Institute in, yes. uh, in Amman, Jordan, that yes. you studied. Well, how was your experience in terms of studying in uh, Syria and in uh, Jordan? Different, or is it like you've seen one Arab country, you've seen them all? No. Uh, uh, all the places that I went to in the Arab world, every single country has its own sort of culture, its own sort of feel. And uh, in terms of Syria and Jordan, they, they're both very different countries. And I think 
Um, one of the things that really stands out when you go to Jordan is the fact that there's so much English spoken, mm-hmm. um, especially within the capital. Now, if you go outside the capital, it might be a little bit different. Right. But within the capital, there's a lot of English spoken, and that you don't see that nearly as much in Damascus. Um, but, the, I mean, there's pluses of being in, in Amman as well because of there's the amenities of life that you have here in the United States are much easier to find. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I really enjoyed uh, both my experiences, both in Amman and in uh, Damascus. That's for different reasons. Yes, yeah, for different reasons. Different reasons. And maybe you feel, uh, I mean, I don't want to put any words in your mouth here, Andrew, but you probably feel very privileged to have been in Syria before the present events because what's going on now must come as a shock to you considering that when you were in Syria... There probably wasn't uh, much going on in terms of, uh, you know, unrest. No, when I was there, I was fortunate enough to be there in the summer of 2010, so two summers ago, and um, there was nothing like this going on. You know, it was just sort of normal daily life, and uh, I am one of the fortunate few that was able to go before all this happened. A lot of my friends that I made while in Amman. Um, almost all of them said, oh, I was planning on going to Damascus, but then, you know, the uprising started, and so now we can't go, and mm-hmm. um, I was very fortunate to get to be there before that. Right. And uh, Amman uh, is the capital of Jordan, for those listeners who don't know yes. that, and that's where you stayed, but were you able to sort of go to other places in Jordan uh, while you were there? Yeah, I was able to visit um, a few different places in Jordan. Uh, Petra, obviously, everyone goes to Petra, the Indiana Jones, famous, you know, uh, site of Indiana Jones, right? Famous for the the treasury, yes, which the is treasury. carved in in rock into rock into rock. You actually got to stand in front of it, and, in front of it, and take pictures there, and it was really great. And we also went to um, a, a town called uh, Jeresh. Wow! And there is a um, an old I, I don't know exactly exactly when it was made and built, but there's an old Roman uh, city there, uh, which is really well preserved. One of the better the the more the more one of the best preserved uh, Roman cities around, I think, and so it's very cool to see. And I'm about to ask you a question that's going to stereotype you, Andrew, but I'm doing it on purpose, so okay. I hope you take this with, you know, humor. But, uh, you know, in many ways, you're the all-American kid, you know, you, you're blonde, you're tall, you're uh, blue-eyed, you're a wonderful, wonderful person. But did you stand out, and did you feel a little bit, like, different when you were in Jordan, or did you feel like you were part of the social, you know, norm? No, when when I was in Jordan, because uh, there's such a large expatriate community in Amman itself, in the capital, um, I didn't feel like I, stand, I stood out as much. Now, when I was in Damascus, it was a little bit different because Damascus um, traditionally has had, hasn't had as much contact with Europe and the United States. And so someone like me, I'm going to stand out when I walk around. And so I got stared at and people, people asked to take pictures with me. They would, they would come up to me and they, and they, wow. would, they would come up to me in the, in the market and they would say, do you speak English? And I'd say, yes. And they'd say, take a picture. So, and did you say yes? Oh, I definitely said yes. Right. No, it was all, but you didn't pretend to be Brad Pitt and sign like autographs. <laughs> and no, no, I didn't pretend to do that. You didn't go but, that but no, it was, it was all, I mean, no one was doing it maliciously. It was just right, sort of right, like something they hadn't right. seen before. So. But there's also the point in you told me this, that there are, you know, regions in Syria and in Jordan where people are fair-skinned, blonde, and blue-eyed, right. so that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not from you know, right. the region, if you are. I was just kind of playing right. the stereotype. Right. right, no, when I would travel to other countries, for instance, Egypt or, or in the Gulf, people would think that I was Syrian because of the way I look, because right. a lot of Syrians are very fair-skinned. And right. right, so in Syria, you're being asked for a photograph, and outside of Syria, you're considered Syrian. Yeah, yeah that's life, where right? It's kind of funny. Um, Andrew, I know that 
that uh, you've got a very busy schedule and I don't want to keep you too long, but I did want to leave our listeners with a little bit of a sample of Arabic poetry. And mm-hmm. when I asked you if you would kindly do you know, a little segment on my show and you so graciously agreed, you chose a poem that's not easy necessarily. I mean, even to native Arabic speakers, you chose a poem by Ahmad Shalti. Mm-hmm. Who is uh, what? Is, do you know his nickname? His nickname in Arabic is Amir Shu'ara, which translates which is as like a, Prince of Poets or Leader of the Poets. Right. It's almost like you've chosen a, a poem by the Shakespeare of the Arab world. This is not an easy task, and yet you've chosen it. Why? I mean, what was the reason? Um, so I chose it. You know, this is one of the poems that I studied while I was in uh, Amman, and I don't. It was it was a poem that just sort of stood out. Um, it. The flow of the poem is is really good, and and you know, I don't know. I just liked it from the first time I read it. So that's one of the reasons why I chose it. And and you know, to ask you to sort of dissect the poem or or translate it as would take you know hours mm-hmm. probably because Ahmad Chauhi is so complex. But just in general, what's the poem talking about? You know, most of our listeners here probably don't speak Arabic. Well, we'll enjoy the recitation, the sounds, the the rhythm right. of your reading. But just to tell them what it's about. So the poem is called Adikwa Thalib, and that means uh, the rooster and the fox. There, Arabic lesson for free yeah. here. From <laughs> so Dik is rooster, rooster and Thalib is fox. fox. So it's a rooster, and it sounds like a fable or something to me. Yeah, it's sort of um, it's it's a it's a story about uh, about a fox who dresses up in preacher's clothing one day and walks around and, and sort of acquires his following of of converts and then he tries to sort of pull the rooster into into this into the fold into into all these converts and the rooster isn't having it the rooster says i'm not tricked by you fox and so mm-hmm. it's sort of how it goes and so the morale behind the poem would be something like the 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 moral behind the poem um and something that ahmed shauke was trying to get across was something along the lines of um don't don't trust everything you hear and and that sometimes people use religion for means other than they should be, right? Mm-hmm. So right. Ahmed Shelki himself was was a very religious man, and he he's not against religion by any means, but he's against um, sort of the hypocrisy that he sees around religion sometimes. And so in this poem, I think the fox is supposed to be someone who is claiming to be very uh, religious and... But in uh, reality, he's not, and he's he's using religion for his own means. And the rooster, the the rooster, I guess, would be someone who sees through who wow. sees through what the fox is trying to do. Wow. And I think it sums it up. It sums it up in the last verse in the poem. So we'll, we'll, when we get to that, maybe we'll just translate the last line mm-hmm. for our listeners. Okay, Andrew, are you ready to channel Ahmad Shalki right here on KZSU Stanford ninety four one FM? Israel Zarabi, I guess. All right, Andrew. Here we go. Adik wa read by Andrew Clausen, a poem by Ahmad Shalki. Baraza Thalib Yoman Fishiar El Wa'adina From Mashafil Ard Yuhdi Wayasubu El Makarina Wayakul Elhamdulla Alehi El Ayalamina Ya Ibad Allah Tubu Fahua Kaf El Taibina Was Hadu Fiatir in El Aisha Aishu El Zahedina Wa Atlabu Adik Yuadin Lisala Asubahfina فأتى أديك رسولا من أمام الناسكين أرد الأمر إليه وهو يرجو أن يلينا 
فيجاب أديك أضرا يا أضل المحتدين بلغ أطالب عني عن جدودي الصالحين إنهم قالوا وخير قولي العارفين مختأ من ظن يوم أن لطالب دينا I love how you ended it. Very nice reading, Andrew. Thank you. You are not an Arabic native speaker, I must emphasize. Unfortunately. And yet you read it as if you were. What an amazing, amazing reading, Andrew. How how comfortable were you? How much time did it take you to prep? Um, Well, it didn't take me that much time to prep. It's uh, um, something that I studied before in the past, and so... Um, I already knew the poem coming in, so it didn't take me that long to well, prep. But uh, as as somebody who knows you and has seen your uh, journey into Arabic uh, blossom, I'm very very proud of you for this reading today. You've made the Thank Arabology you. show proud as well as the Stanford community Thank you. in Thank general. You. So before I leave you, um, Andrew, the the last line we talked about was mm-hmm. Dina means it means so literally it's it's it means um, uh, basically you are incorrect uh, if you think one day that the fox has a religion yeah because the fox I guess has no religion the fox has no religion in the eyes of Ahmed Shoki of Ahmed Shoki Um, I love that I love that like if you ever buy into the fact that a fox could have a certain religion then you would be Plainly wrong. Plainly wrong. And this is something that is passed down from his ancestors, he says. Absolutely. And through you, Andrew, to the uh, (laughs) Bay Area, listening here at the 90.1 FM dial. Andrew, shukran. Thank you so much for coming in and for speaking with us and sharing your um, experiences, as well as this poem by Ahmad Shawkir with our listeners. Please come by anytime um, you want here at KZSU. We would be delighted to see you, Andrew. Shukran, ya Ramzi. Shukran, ma'asalam. Shalana Hazane, Alarabin Maskin, 
حرام بتكاش هالمساعدة كلمة مسكين طلع من راسك المسكين بسقط انت كل بحساسك تسحيش فيش في عيب احنا وقنا انت وقف عجلك احنا بكينا انت امسح دموعنا يا لحمي ودمي ارفعولنا روسنا طريقة. توصل مستقبل تعلم تاريخك اعرف شهادة احتلال خلي قلبك متمسك بكلمة استقلال وهلأ عيدوا من ورائي لابيض واسمر لاخضر واحمر بنلون تراتنا بحسها لو انها مش قبالنا اللي محاها لسه ما محانا معذبنا اه اذا انت مش متحمل تمسك اشي سلاح بل امسك قلم سجل انا عربي زي محمود درويش انا بقتلش غيري بس عشان اعيش قلبي صرخ احنا بني ادمين راسي مرفوعي باسم فلسطين ايدي ما تهجر ناس اللي مهجرة منيهم عرقبتي جنبك يا حنظرة وقف الموسيقى اذا مش عارف ايش بنحكي روح اسأل اهلك وإذا ولا واحد عارف يجاوبك تعلم لحالك عشان يكون من يجاب ولادك For the KZSU Silent Disco, provided by Sunset Promotions and Silent Frisco, who promote unique music experiences in public places. Silent Frisco specializes in performances where noise has previously made such performances impractical. www.sunsetpromotions.com or for feedback on Silent Frisco, Facebook page at Sunset SF. This is the Arabology Show. It is 4.30 p.m. here at KCSU Stanford 90.1 FM. And as I promised you, ladies and gentlemen, Marwa Farag is indeed in our studios. She has kindly agreed to do a live interview right here at KCSU on this wonderful Thursday afternoon. Marwa, of course, for those uh, people who may not know who she is, and I doubt there are any of those left, is actually the uh, Deputy Director for the Conference Management and Programming for AM. Men's. We'll be talking about that. She is, of course, the managing editor of the features section for the Stanford Daily newspaper, as well as uh, the co-president of the ASAS, as well as an Arabic tutor. And this is these are just one of the th- few of the things that Marwa has uh, been doing here at Stanford. Marwa, ahlan wa sahlan, and welcome to Arabology. How are you doing, Marwa? 
I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I am delighted to have you. And I know that you have a very busy schedule, Marwa. So you coming in to do a live interview today means a lot to me as well to our listeners. Uh, and that's uh, certainly, I think, in many ways represents the spirit of the, uh, well, the wonderful spirit of hospitality and kindness that the Egyptian people are known for. Marwa, you are, you are from Egypt originally. I am. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey or how you came to Stanford and uh, where you were born, raised, etc.? Yeah, so I'm Egyptian and I was born and raised actually in Abu Dhabi, which is in the UAE, close to Dubai. That's what most people recognize over here. Um, and I never thought I would come to Stanford actually, but mm. I went to an American high school um, during the day. And um, it was a great experience, and I was sort of applying to colleges, and um, they told us about this thing called the Common App, and you just apply to a bunch of places at once. I was like, sure, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I somehow ended up with an acceptance, and I'm like, cool. Wow. Yeah, uh, that th- works. This is, this is pretty amazing, because I know people say, whose lifelong dream was Stanford and only Stanford, and, and for you, it just it, it happened as, as, you know, as the nature would have it, let's say. Yeah, I hadn't ever visited. I didn't really know much about the place, but... Seemed cool. Looked at pictures. They looked pretty. It's a great university, obviously. So I came out here, and it was worth the risk. Wow. And so are, what year are you now at, at Stanford? I'm a sophomore. You're a sophomore. So you're still in your second year, Marwa Farag. How can you have done so much in two years at Stanford? This is unbelievable. It's so easy to just get inspired by everybody else doing so many things that you really just you know, take it in stride. Marwa, have you always been this involved in, you know, community uh, activities and different kind of uh, hobbies and, 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 and such, even when you were in Egypt? Or is this something that you picked up uh, on your uh, sort of uh, journey at Stanford? Uh, I've always tried to be, um, just because it sort of feels like if you're not doing something, at least, you're just bored. Just yeah. watching TV all day. Yeah. That doesn't seem like too much fun. No, no. So I tried to get involved in a lot of things, um, it's easy if you like something to get involved and enjoy it and have a good time. So I really try to do everything that I enjoy, and thankfully that's a lot of things. So wow. works out. Wow. And Marwa, uh, you are working for the Stanford Daily, and you are sort of in charge of the features section. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, so the features section is um, the part of the newspaper that focuses more on sort of long-form journalism, um, pieces that look at the human interest um, angle to, sto- to news stories. Um, and we get to run really cool pieces like profiles of professors. There's never a lack of amazing people here at Stanford that you can talk to. And actually, just today, I encourage you all to check this out. We ran a profile of Fadi Quran, who oh, wow. I think you interviewed last week. I did. I did. I mean, it was a pre-recorded interview, but he was kind enough to give me an interview. And you're saying there's a feature on him in today's issue of the Stanford Daily. Yeah, actually, one of our brand new writers, a freshman, Stephen Cobb, did a long interview with Fadi over Skype and wrote a great profile for us that profiles uh, Fadi's journey from Ramallah coming to Stanford and going back to do nonviolent activism in his community. Wow. And so Marwa, you know, this sort of uh, leads me to my next question, which talks a little bit about, you know, uh, students, uh, well, Arab students at Stanford. And uh, well, I've been here for 14 years, Marwa, so I've seen people come and go. But one of the things that was uh, sort of sadly lacking in years past was a kind of uh, group that kind of brought Arab students together. And uh, here I Wanted, I would like you to talk a little bit, if you would, about the ASAS, which is the Arab Students at Stanford. Arab Student Association at Stanford, Association, yes. there we go. And you are the co-president. 
I am. Um, there was an organization, I think, before my time, but it sort of died out, and it's really hard to keep those things going when there's not someone there pushing for it. Right. And so a group of my friends, um, who just happened to all be Arab students, and I gathered together and figured we wanted something to do um, to organize social events for Arab students, to bring them together, to even um, for freshmen who were sort of looking for a place to find people who were maybe sharing the same experience or adjusting to Stanford, um, an easy place for them to go and do that. Um, and so we sort of set up this brand new organization called ASAS. Um, wow. And oh, it, we wow. got a cool acronym hey, for it. I, I just realized that. Of course, ASAS is, means like the foundation, the basis yeah. in Arabic. And, uh, I, I love that that acronym. Was that sort of, did that happen by mistake or was that? Yeah, it did. <laughs> we just got lucky with lots of S's. And we actually saw Harvard Student Association. I think it's like HSAS. And we were like. That's yeah. weird, and we got to figure it out where it Stanford's an S. Because so. that, that kind of sounds like Hassas, like oversensitive <laughs> or something, you know. I would rather true. have an SS than be Hassas. <laughs> <laughs> but Marwa, you know, you've been speaking so beautifully here on the show, and, and uh, you know, when when I listen to you, I mean, Arabic is your first language, is, mm-hmm. is it not? And, and yet, you've, you, you did you grow up sort of in a bilingual household, or how did it happen that your command of, you know, American English is I did so grow beautiful. up in a bilingual household, but it wasn't Arabic English, it was Arabic French. Wow. Um, <laughs> English sort of came about. I really credit my teachers for most of it. Um, really? I still have yet to figure out why I have an American accent. And a lot of people tell me that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you were, you were born and raised in Egypt. You went to school. In Abu Dhabi. In, yeah. in Abu Dhabi, sorry. And, and yeah. you went to school there. And, you know. Yeah, so I this flew is out an, here an Arabic-speaking country. Freshman so. year. Yeah. But wow. And so, alors vous parlez français aussi Uh, Oh my (laughs) gosh, I am not going there. She speaks all uh, typical of Marwa Farag. So Marwa, um, uh, before um, uh, we take a little break here, and I wanted to kind of talk about the uh, Egyptian, you know, events and Mm -hmm. the uprising and whether you were there or here and your take on it as a as an Egyptian. Uh, Would you would you consider yourself Egyptian American or how how much? No, I consider myself definitely Egyptian. There's not much American Uh, to me except my uh, accent. (laughs) There you go. But of course, uh, you do. Represent sort of the spirit of America in terms of your multi-talented uh, 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 background, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you bring uh, in a little bit of uh, representation, whether you do so intentionally or not, when you do speak here. And I would like to kind of talk to you about, uh, as a young Egyptian woman, as a scholar, as a student here at Stanford, about your take on what's been going there. So I thought maybe we'll introduce people to this uh, song by Mariam Saleh. This is a song that exists on the Beirut Hotel Sound track and it's called Islahat so I'm sure if you've been looking at the medium uh, Marwa you know this idea of Islahat how, how would we translate that to our American listeners? Um, it would probably translate into reforms but I think maybe a more accurate translation is like fixings or yeah, um, yeah. making right the things that are wrong in society. Right and I think that's what Miriam Saleh is trying to get through in the song Islahat by uh, sort of I mean it's, it, she, she sounds like she's almost praising some of the vices that we think of but she's certainly doing so in a satirical way, talking about, you know, that uh, a lot of uh, social uh, reform and fixings, as you said, should be uh, going on. So why don't we listen to that, and then we can come back and talk to Marwa about her thoughts on the uh, Egyptian uprising, as well as her involvement in the Amends Summit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that was something you were very proud of, uh, Marwa, because I saw you running around campus uh, that week, (laughs) uh, what do you say, with like a chicken without a head, whatever it is, (laughs) but you were pretty busy that week. Okay, so let's go 
to uh, to to uh, Mariam Saleh al Islahat. We'll be back to speak to Marwa uh, Farag uh, for another few minutes after this interview right here on Arabology, coming to you from KZSU Stanford, ninety point one FM. حوادث الاحادث في البلاد النقود تعجت بشوطه وصبر وداب في الملاحات والنبي صاخت العيال نصيبها مال زي البنات وان ناديه بريزه وقعت وان فاطمه شرب رجعت وان شكري وكالة قرر يشتغل في
Well, that was uh, Maryam Saleh and a song that's kind of produced by Zayd Hamdan, the Lebanese musician. It was called uh, Islahat. And uh, I was happy to see that uh, Marwa Farag here in the studio sort of was bopping to the tune. A little bit. Is bopping the right verb, Marwa? Did you enjoy that song? Yeah, it's my first time to hear it, but it's very interesting to listen to. Yeah, I mean, it's with the Egyptian accent for sure. Definitely. And she's talking about, you know, things that uh, need uh, fixing and repairing uh, and uh, reforming, I think, in Egyptian society, which kind of brings me to uh, the main reason I wanted you to come here, because as a young, educated Egyptian woman at Stanford, you must have very, uh, well, uh, specific views, perhaps, about what's been going on there. The Egypt you left uh, two years ago, was it about two years you've been here, mm-hmm. uh, is certainly not the Egypt that is going on now. What are your thoughts on this, Marwa? When you came here, did you expect any of this to happen? How much of a shock was this? And what are your thoughts about, you know, the uprising or whatever we want to call it? I really can't say that I expected it to happen, but I think that's true of almost everybody who was observing Egypt at the time, that at least until the few weeks preceding it, and definitely until what happened in Tunisia, it came as a shock um, that something like this could happen. We knew that people were upset. We know that there were a lot of problems going on with the regime and with the repression and Mm -hmm. with economic inequality. But it was such a miracle to see that that actually enveloping into or developing into such huge protests that so many people then eventually participated in. Um, So... I I was here and it was really stressful to me being here because I always wanted to be updated on the moment and I was pulling all-nighters because of the time difference and following things and that's what really got me addicted to Twitter because it was just so good for real-time updates um, that I couldn't be getting, you know, in the 10 minutes it took any news organization to actually report something. I needed it before that. I needed it that minute. Right, Um, right. And Twitter is great for that, and now I use it for all my news. That's amazing. I mean, it must have been kind of surreal for you to watch all this stuff going on in your country when you are, you know, at Stanford in the United States. You've had a chance to go back to Egypt since... Uh, I have the, a couple times, yes. And what, 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 what were your thoughts? I mean, it, was it, is it very drastically different? Is it, uh, uh, I mean, how, what was your first impression or your impression upon your first visit? I mean, I can't say realistically that politically the system has changed very much and that a lot of the deep-lying structural problems that were protested against can be changed very much. But the one thing that you really can't deny has changed is that people now, just everybody, my cousins, people that I meet, just have this new sense of agency that they actually have the ability to change something and do something Mm -hmm. um, that they didn't have before, that they sort of felt like victims of their fate or just going along with the motions, and now people are like, I don't like what's going on with my job. I'm going to tell my boss that that's not good. I don't agree with what my parents are doing I have the ability to tell them that I want something different Um, and that sense of I can do something and I can make a change is so embedded here in Stanford and in American society that it doesn't feel like something different but it is very inspiring to see that people um, are recognizing their own ability as agents for change Um, even if that change isn't fully come to fruition yet. Yeah, because, you know, we were looking kind of at the uh, new elections and, you know, um, and and looking at Tunisia as well. And, uh, you know, without getting too technical, you know, I mean, how optimistic are you or what is your take on what uh, the election results are bringing? And uh, especially, Marwa, in terms of women's rights and women's agency in Egypt and maybe in the Arab world uh, as a whole, do you see that, you know, this, uh, uprising, this revolution in process as being, uh, you know, something positive for women's rights? Or do you see it as sort of temporarily delaying any access to agency for women? Um, we haven't seen anything positive come out of it for women's rights yet. 
realistically. Um, women did play a huge role in the revolution, sort mm. of came out of their homes to right. stand side by side to play an equal role, 100%, um, and in certain situations, even a bigger role. Um, but there hasn't been really much change on the update uh, on the front of human rights mm-hmm. um, anywhere, right. but even in particularly on women's rights. Um, I mean, do you, do you mm-hmm. feel that it, it, it uh, sort of delayed it uh, or, or uh, is, it, is it sort of like a temporary setback or, or do you see things as being the same, like there's a status quo that just hasn't changed when it comes to women's uh, uh, you know, rights and agency? The status quo substantially hasn't changed. I would like to think of it as a temporary setback in sort of the looking forward and progress type of approach of women's rights movements all across the Middle East, and particularly in Egypt. There are a lot of people fighting for this, though, and there are a lot of people paying attention to it and recognizing it as an important issue, whether men or women, which is different from it not being talked about at all mm-hmm. or very, very minimally in small circles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so one good thing is that people now expect that it's going to be done and are pressuring for it to be done and are looking towards things that may be setting it back in a critical way, which wow. before it wasn't even on the agenda at all. So like a, a discourse that kind of centers on, you know, women's issue or feminist issues is actually happening, something that wasn't really happening before in, uh, visibly, like on TV, etc. Yes, et definitely not visibly and not substantially. In small circles or in, you know, within women's rights movement, it definitely was. I don't want to discredit that. But now it's become sort of a national issue and um, integrated within um, the big ideals that the Egyptian revolution was right. seeking. And you had mentioned to me, Marwa, something about an article you read that was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, can you t- tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the most recent uh, um, issue of Foreign Policy magazine ran a cover essay by an Egyptian-American columnist called Munat Tahawi, wow. um, and it was called Why Do They Hate Us? Hmm. And there are a lot of problems with the article that I will acknowledge, um, including, to me, number one, the images that were run with it, um, which were um, of women covered in uh, black paint um, emulating a naqab. Wow. Um, but the writer didn't have any control over the images, as far as I understand. Um, but she did bring up very um, powerfully and very strongly uh, big points about uh, abuse against women in the Middle East um, and sort of made it um, as a call for Arab men um, to stand up for women's rights alongside women, um, which even if she didn't phrase it in the best way or even if she didn't put it through the best venue, for example, an English magazine published mainly in the West, but targeting it, the message towards Arab men, there were problems with it definitely. Mm-hmm. But again, bringing it to the forefront and making people argue about it and making people in Egypt say, we don't like this, there's something different going on, is just miles better than right, pushing right. it under the rug entirely. Marwa Farag, you know, time flies quickly with you in the studio. There is so much I wanted to talk to you about, and yet we don't have that much time left. But before I let you go, Marwa, can, can you just tell me a little bit about the AMENDS Summit that you were involved in? What does AMENDS stand for? Amends. Uh, so we have five letters there in this acronym. Right. <laughs> Clearly, all the organizations I'm involved in. Give me an A. Great acronym. <laughs> so A, American Middle Eastern Network for Dialogue at Stanford. Wait, wow. oops, that was six letters. Was, <laughs> it is. It's difficult to visualize. <laughs> uh, but of course, the Amends Conference here uh, was was uh, pretty much uh, you know a, a very uh, amazing time for people to see young people coming from the Middle East and beyond, and to speak about different issues. Your involvement, Marwa, with Amends was. Uh, as a speaker or as an organizer? No, I was an organizer within a small, very small team, actually, of students who are um, on campus from the Middle East and um, American students who are dedicated to um, 
engaging uh, the U.S. in general mm-hmm. with problems that are going on in the Middle East. And how we sought to do that was we brought 40 youth leaders. And by youth leaders, we mean people who are actually on the ground making a change, not people who are studying change, not people who hope to make change, but people who are doing something right now. Right. And looking at the power of connecting them with each other um, and seeing what great projects that can engender. Wow. Um, and so we had two Egyptians, I'm proud to say, representing <laughs> Egypt. They were both excellent. Their men's talks will be available on the Stanford University YouTube site um, oh, pretty really? soon. Oh, cool. Um, because you know, a, lot, a lot of these talks you know, people missed, and then we never knew if we would get a chance to ever hear them. Yeah, we're trying to digitize as much of it as possible for public access. But it was our first annual summit. We're looking to do it a lot more. We're sponsored under the Center for Democracy Development and the Rule of Law. Wow. And um, it was just such a great experience having everybody connect together and have these great ideas that are just slipping off when you put 40 people in a room and they're all amazing, inspirational youth leaders in one place. Wow. Um, And they're just getting all these workshops from different um, uh, places on campus, like the Graduate School of Business or the Design School and thinking interdisciplinarily. That was a long word. um, (laughs) Or just even in casual settings, connecting with each other and seeing how they can give each other's experiences to each other to make um, their their communities better places. Just It's like Amazing. magic. Marwa Farag, I really, really can't thank you enough for doing this and coming Anytime. in. You are amazing. I know you've, you've got a million things to do. I enjoyed this so much, Marwa. And I hope you'll come in uh, time and time again to uh, KZSU. Say hello to us here anytime. I'd love to. And uh, always stay the wonderful, amazing, positive, enthusiastic, educated person you Flatter are, Flatter me Marwa. too much. <laughs> I, I, I actually haven't even started, but uh, we are coming up to 5 o'clock. And, of course, everybody out there knows to stay tuned after my show to uh, the uh, Fall of Math with AJ. That's progressive experimental post-rock with some indie rock tucked in whenever it fits. Complexity, musicality, and good intentions. That's music for both sides of your brain. Coming to you right after my show from uh, from 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. And... Uh, uh, Marwa, thank you again for coming in. And uh, how do we say goodbye in Egyptian? What's the best uh, goodbye greeting you can Ma'a think? Salam. Ma'a salam. So you're sending me away with safety. And uh, and uh, all your listeners, too. Thank you so much, Marwa. <laughs> Shukran laki. And here is uh, Amal Mathluthi from uh, Tunis singing uh, about, well, her thoughts about the world. And it'll take us up to uh, 5 p.m. Uh, pretty soon when AJ will be taking over with the fall of math. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me. Here is Amal Mathluthi on the Arabology Show. This is your DJ. J. Ramsey, and we are live.
Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Arabology, reminding everybody to stay tuned in a few minutes uh, for AJ and uh, the fall of math that will be uh, today and every Thursday at 5 p.m. And uh, we're going to leave you with a little song here by Adonis, the Lebanese group called the Dawul Baladie. And uh, special uh, thanks to everybody who was here at the studio today, Marwa Farag uh, and Lizzie Harmon and Andrew Clausen. Thank you for tuning in to Arabology and stay tuned for AJ. كل بنايات بيروت بتشبه بعضها غسيل منشور وشراي تراكبي بعضها Beirut, 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 Beirut,